If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one for the World According to Zig podcast for this September 24th, 2017 my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a conservative perspective in this world turned completely and totally upside down on basically a daily basis. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. If you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can check out all of my columns. There were three that were added this week. One uh, was about Sean Spicer's involvement in the Emmy Awards. Boy, that feels like it was so long ago. Uh, then there was one about Paul Manafort being wiretapped by U.S. investigators before and after the election and being told that he was going to be indicted. Paul Manafort, former campaign chair for the Trump campaign. And then this weekend I wrote a column about... Donald Trump's fight with the National Football League and how that's only a small part of the National Football League's overall problems, which are, I think, um, both diverse and interesting, as well as an indication that the behemoth that is the National Football League is vulnerable in the long run. And obviously that has been the news story of the weekend. Uh, It's been off the charts it's been flat out, well... It's just flat out ridiculous. The insanity of this whole thing. It's insane on so many different levels. The level of coverage that Trump's feud with the NFL has gotten is insane. It's, it, I mean, just... Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, I mean, it went... I mean, this, this whole take-a-knee thing, I thought was ready to die out. I mean, Colin Kaepernick had uh, basically been tossed out of the league, I believe mostly because he sucks, not because of his protest against police. And by the way, let's just go backwards even further. I think that Kaepernick concocted most of this controversy. I think he realized he was going to get cut or was vulnerable to getting cut last year and thought as a black guy, and to be clear, Kaepernick, I didn't even know he was black until this thing happened. I mean, his skin is is really not very black. He starts to grow out his hair in this big 1970s afro. So, you know, okay, okay I guess you're black. Uh, you know, but he did, he did that in conjunction with this whole thing. So he's embracing his blackness, which is fine. But I get suspicious when someone's looking for an exit narrative, right? I, I, I can't be cut because I suck. I was a Super Bowl quarterback a couple years ago. I'm going to get cut and be a martyr for some cause greater than me. But then the other part of this that's never made any damn sense is why are you protesting the national anthem and I guess the United States flag over local, alleged local police issues with black men? That doesn't make any sense to me. One, I don't even buy into the the liberal BS narrative that somehow all of a sudden white police officers are targeting black men for death. I just don't believe that. I think we've had some isolated episodes, some of which 
were obvious mistakes, maybe even worse than mistakes, but it's created a narrative. And then once you have a narrative, when you have a country this large, you're always going to be able to cherry pick situations to be able to facilitate the narrative. So, but, but even if the narrative was true, what does that have to do with the United States of America? The, the, no, no local police work for the United States government. None. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it would be the same as if you would be protesting something that happened in your local school district by protesting the national anthem. Now, if the government passed a law, if, if the United States passed a law making it okay for police to kill unarmed black men, then I'd say, you know what? That's legitimate. That is a legitimate point <laughs> to be protesting the national anthem. But that's not what happened here. So there's not any layer of this whole thing, even before the insanity of the last couple days, that has ever made any damn sense to me. And then I thought it was basically over. Kaepernick's career, it looks like it's over. You know, he may eventually get another shot because quarterbacks are in such short supply. Uh, and he's young enough to where he could outlast this to where it dies down, although now it's going to take longer. That's the ultimate irony. None of this is helping Kaepernick get a job, if that's, if that's really what the point of it is. I don't even know what the – I don't even think the people protesting anymore know what the point of it is. So, you know, Friday comes around, and I guess maybe the most remarkable part about – Trump's Alabama rally, where this whole thing reignited literally overnight, is that if you took away the NFL portion of the Alabama rally, Trump's rally was batshit crazy on its own. It was batshit crazy by even Trump's standards. And here's what I'm referring to. He's in Alabama. Why? Because there's a special election there for U.S. Senate. Now, there are two Republicans who are running neck and neck. One is the incumbent, the guy who was appointed to take Jeff Sessions' place when Jeff Sessions became attorney general. Okay? His name is Luther Strange. Seems like a decent enough guy. Fairly mainstream Republican. Mitch McConnell, the majority leader wants him to win. Why? Well, because his opponent, Roy Moore, is a religious nut job. And I'm not talking about just somebody who is super religious. He is a nut job, completely off the charts, even by Alabama standards. All right. So McConnell understands that Roy Moore is bad news. If, if Roy Moore gets in the Senate, a couple things are going to happen. One, the news media is suddenly going to become incredibly interested in every crazy-ass thing that Roy Moore says. That's number one. Number two, down the road, as crazy as it sounds, he is so nuts, he could eventually lose the seat to a Democrat down the road. That is certainly possible, and, you know, obviously... A Senate seat in Alabama should be as safe as they come. So McConnell, here's what I think happened, and this is this is so Trumpy in the way Trump works. So my guess is that back when McConnell and Trump didn't hate each other's guts over health care not being able to be repealed and all that business, at some point they must have had a semi-decent meeting. And McConnell must have said to Trump, hey, you know, there's this um, Senate race in Alabama, or maybe Jeff Sessions also helped in this back before Sessions was in the doghouse because he wouldn't, you know, he, because he decided to recuse himself from, uh, from the uh, Russia situation. But somebody, whether it was McConnell, Sessions, or somebody else, somebody close to Trump who is reasonable found an opportunity where Trump was in a good mood and said, hey, why don't you endorse Luther Strange? That would really be helpful to us in Alabama. And Trump, in that moment, must have said, yeah, sure, great, I'll do it. And he tweeted a few things, and it was clear that he was backing Luther Strange. Well, 
the problem was, <laughs> a couple problems, Roy Moore, being batshit crazy, is actually more in keeping with Trump's mentality. <laughs> number one. And number two, it looks like Moore's going to win because it's Alabama. And people in Alabama are freaking nuts. They are inbred. They are white trash. They're every stereotype that you could possibly imagine. They're the ones that brainwashed Leah Brandon and ended up destroying our nationally syndicated Sunday night show. I, I'm, I'm positive of the fact, the fact that she lived in Alabama was a major, major part of the problem that she and I had withstanding that election last year. Because she's getting people whispering in her ear that, uh, you know, Ziegler's anti-Trump and therefore he's evil because Trump is awesome. Well, so Roy Moore is leading. And Trump goes, allegedly, he goes down there to do a, a rally for Luther Strange. <laughs> Except it wasn't really a rally for Luther Strange. Of course, it's Trump, and that means it's always going to be about who? Trump. And so Trump is getting worried that he's going to get embarrassed that the guy he's endorsed isn't going to win. So at a rally for Luther Strange, he effectively backs off his own endorsement for the guy while he's there, making this even and telling everybody, hey, you know what? I might have made a mistake. And if more wins, I'll support him too. Like, no big whoop. If you feel like voting for more, vote for more. Because I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be humiliated as President of the United States backing the wrong horse in the reddest state possible in Alabama. Even more nutty is that Strange at the rally actually says that part of why he should be elected is because he will stand up to not Donald Trump, of course, but to Mitch McConnell. And McConnell's the guy who wants him elected. He's so, so strange. And this is strange. But that's also his name. Strange is attacking the guy who effectively got him the job and wants him to keep him in the job and probably had something to do with Trump's pseudo-endorsement. Now, meanwhile, this is how, how crazy a candidate Roy Moore is. There's a lot of ways that you can articulate it. But I'll take it out of the religion aspect. I'll just put it into the, to the uh, competence territory. There's a bus, a Roy Moore for Senate bus. You know, like a, one of those big buses the rock stars take for their tours. And it's, you know, big, beautiful bus, and, and it's got Roy Moore for Senate on it. And it's got a website URL on the side of it. And it says, more, Alabama deserves more. Oh, it's kind of catchy. Alabama deserves more. His last name is Moore. Except the word deserves on the bus in the URL is spelled D-E-R. S-E-R-V-E-S. -E -E Deserves. They misspelled the word on the side of the bus in the URL. The Democratic candidate apparently bought that particular URL to mock more. Uh, it, this is, you can't make this up. You just can't make this up. So, once again, Trump, because of his own insanity... Is actually, and I know there are people who think he thinks he does this on purpose. Who knows? Maybe in this case he did. I don't know. But here Trump is in an incredibly embarrassing situation here in Alabama. One that almost is a no win for him at this point. And all anybody's talking about is the fact that during the course of this rally, he starts going off on a riff on the National Football League. <laughs> And he starts talking about how the game isn't the same anymore, which, by the way, I agree with. Um, and I wrote that in my uh, column for, free, for media, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But then, of course, he goes off into the, the national anthem protests. And he calls the players who take part in these national anthem protests sons of bitches. The President of the United States... 
refers to them as sons of bitches, which uh, is so very presidential. Are you not entertained? Yeah, I mean, it's a reality show now, folks. That's what this is. It's president by reality show. And if we get a couple days without anything interesting, we got to inject something fun into the narrative, keep the ratings high. Are you not entertained? So he calls them sons of bitches, essentially says that uh, people should boycott teams that allow their players to protest, that the players who are protesting should be fired. Fired, he said. Now, um, he's certainly entitled to his opinion. It's a uh, very dumb thing as President of the United States, an inappropriate thing as President of the United States, to be even weighing in on this. In fact, you know who said that? Donald Trump himself, on numerous occasions while Obama was president, ripped Obama for chiming in on things like the Washington Redskins nickname and and other frivolous sports-related stuff. But, you know, Trump is nothing if not a hypocrite. So so it's inappropriate to do it. He didn't do it in in a remotely appropriate way, even if it was something that was a smart idea to do. But This created a massive controversy that snowballed throughout the whole weekend, incredibly overblown. I mean, we're talking about, uh, what, a few dozen NFL players deciding to kneel for the national anthem rather than stand. Uh, Today, a couple of teams, including the Pittsburgh Steelers, decided, you know what, this is more trouble than it's worth. We're not even going to come out for the national anthem, which... From a political standpoint, if you think about it just from a team unity perspective, that might be the best best way to go. I mean, if if your team can't figure out exactly how to handle it, and unity on the football team is incredibly important. So if you're thinking about it purely from a a football standpoint, staying inside might actually not be a bad idea. Although apparently they did have one of their players who went to West Point uh, Army, and they, he did come out for the national anthem, which was a little bit of a surprise. But uh, the teams are all handling this very differently. You know, as far as what's motivating Trump here, and we've always had this conversation, whether he's playing chess or checkers or shoots and ladders or whatever it is, and, and this is one of the situations where I'm not really sure. Because, it, you know, he, he I, I've never believed he's an imbecile, and he is very good at manipulation. But he's also somebody who only really cares about today, and he really only cares about himself. And I'm kind of stunned, and even I didn't mention this in my original column, partially because I, I thought this might be a one-off. You know, just the kind of thing happened at the rally on Friday, and then Trump was going to let it drop. But he didn't let it drop. He tweeted about it again in very disparaging ways this morning. And when he did that, it suddenly hit me. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. At least part of what's going on here, and and I have not seen anybody in the media mention this. It's kind of amazing. But it's now rather obvious to me that at least part and probably a fairly large portion of Trump's motivation in this whole NFL thing is his experience as the owner of a professional football team. People probably have forgotten. Donald Trump owned the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. There's an entire ESPN documentary basically detailing how Donald Trump screwed up the whole USFL. It's fascinating. In fact, I'm I'm amazed that that documentary got zero traction during the presidential campaign. Because if you watch this documentary, you don't want Donald Trump running your local grocery store. Forget about being president of the United States. Anyway, Trump had a very bad experience with the USFL, and the National Football League effectively destroyed the USFL. Trump was frozen out, smartly, by the owners. And you got to remember, the owners of the National Football League are the smallest, most exclusive group of legitimately rich people in this country. And Trump, of course, desperately wanted to be part of that group because that would be affirmation for him. And I've talked about this constantly. In fact, last week I related in a weird way 
Trump's motivation for revenge on the establishment with bin Laden's motivation for revenge against what happened to him when he got kicked out of Saudi Arabia. These, you know, he, he has always felt, Trump has, that he's been disrespected, that he, he deserves to be lauded and you know, he wants to be part of the cool people group. Well, truly rich people have never let him in that group. And I, and I believe that's a, a massive portion of his motivation to run for president. But we all know that how much Trump hates to be dissed or humiliated and how he does not let go of a grudge. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Trump still harbors resentment towards the National Football League because of what happened with the USFL and the fact that he was never allowed into that club. Although I, I don't even think he has anywhere near the money to be in that club. He has no cash. And I, I've always insisted that his net worth is grossly exaggerated or basically a lie, like almost everything else about him. So I don't think he ever had the money to get into the National Football League. But he, they were certainly they were never going to let Donald Trump be an NFL owner. And so it's not just a coincidence that Trump is now on this crusade against the National Football League. And by the way, why now? Why now? I mean, this thing has been going on, this protest has been going on for quite a while. It's week three of the National Football League. As I've already said, it was basically dying down. And it's not like we don't have other things going on in the world. I mean, the Republican Senate is right now as we speak watching the last very last vestiges of any chance of repealing Obamacare fade away, and our president is in a fight with the National Football League over who's kneeling and who's standing. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. And, you know, the the media aspect of this, of course, the media will always screw up a story like this. I mean, that's the one thing you can always rely on. And the, and the reason why you can rely on it, especially in this case, is because the story involves race. Now, again, I'm confused as to how it even became a racial issue, but it, it has. There's no question it's a racial issue. Trump further exacerbated it being a racial, racial issue, by the way, by going after Seth Curry and the Golden State Warriors over the weekend by disinviting them to the White House. Gee, let's see. An NBA, I'm going I'm to disinvite an NBA basketball team in the middle of a fight with National Football League players in what is perceived as a racial protest. Gee, I wonder what all those members of the, of the uh, NBA champion Golden State Warriors team has in common, or almost all of them. Hmm. Oh, yeah. They're black. That's that's just brilliant. Just brilliant on Trump's part. Of course, it, some might say it is brilliant if what you're trying to do is to appeal only to white nationalists or semi-racists or maybe overtly racist people. Interestingly, uh, University of North Carolina also backed out of coming to the White House because, get this, they said they couldn't find a date that works. Gee, what is the University of North Carolina basketball team also have in common? Hmm. Well, other than the guys at the deep end of the bench, they're all black. <sighs> He's such a uniter, that, that Donald Trump. And, and for those who are uh, backing Trump on all this, I, I wonder how many of those would be remotely doing the same thing if Obama chimed in on something like this in the same way. And for the record, kudos to Donald Trump. I think he's done something that even Obama could not have done. I think if Obama had told players to take a knee, there might not be more players taking the knee than they are today <laughs> in protest of Trump. So congratulations, Donald Trump. You've been able to figure out a way to do something that Obama probably couldn't have even have done, although Obama wouldn't have been dumb enough to try to do it because he would have realized there would have been a political price to pay. But back with the media. The media will always blow a story involving race. And, and why is this? Well, with race comes fear, especially among white men. So you have two types of people doing sports casting. You have black sportscasters. And what, what position are they going to take on this? They're going to take, right, the solidarity position, right? Of course. I mean, no, no black 
sportscaster is going to have the balls to say, you know, even Charles Barkley. They brought in Charles Barkley on NFL Today out of the blue. You don't remember Barkley. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, Barkley's the one black guy who might be in a position if he was slow, so inclined to say, this is stupid, stop it, cut it out, meaning the protest. But, of course, he's not going to do that because there's just going to be too much backlash. So every black person is going to take solidarity with the protest, and every white guy in the media is terrified of saying anything that might be perceived as them not being 100% on board, which means they could get fired. So they're just trying to protect the deer gig. So the white guys are actually more likely to go full out (laughs) on how tremendous the protest is, how horrible Trump is. I mean, Terry Bradshaw did that. Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw, not exactly a uh, you know a cerebral kind of guy who would be the the person we would look to in our time of need for thoughts on freedom of speech and the Constitution and our rights. But there he is, waxing actually for him fairly eloquently uh, on uh, the Fox version of the show. And, and I've never seen Trump get roasted on a Fox Network show like he did on the Fox uh, NFL show this morning here on the West Coast before the uh, NFL games. But the point here is there's never going to be anybody in a sports broadcast who's going to take the other side. (laughs) Blacks are all going to be about solidarity. Whites are all going to be about making sure I don't do something to piss everybody off and lose my gig. So they got, you know, there's unanimity among the media and and also by the way they go crazy and of course trump loves this trump i'm sure loves this trump can't get anything done in in real life you know in washington life in legislative life so the fact that he can have this kind of an impact on an nfl sunday i'm sure gives him the jollies because i'm sure he's feeling rather impotent that his two may at least two major campaign promises, the wall and repealing Obamacare are not going to happen. And so at least he can make this happen. At least he can create all this kind of controversy within the National Football League. Now, is it going to help him or hurt him politically? I'm not sure. I mean, there are definitely those who think, oh, this is Trump is brilliant like a fox. He's, you know, he's going to the media goes crazy, which I've, I've said many times I agree with. I think the media plays right into Trump's hands because the more outrage they get, a lot of people go, well, he must be doing something right. I get that. I don't agree with it, but I get I get it. I understand that perspective. Uh, having some, someone as myself who <laughs> despises and distrusts the news media as much as anybody, I, I can understand that, although I try to judge things on a case-by-case basis. However... Even though there will be some backlash, he, he is enduring an enormous amount of criticism from all angles over this today. It's not as if um, there's any indication that I have seen whatsoever, even the smallest bit, that anybody has been walking out of NFL stadiums today as Trump effectively urged people to do if there were protests. Nobody's getting fired, as Trump urged to have happen. Most of, or at least half, of the NFL owners have put out scathing statements. Even his own New England Patriot buddy, Robert Kraft, you know, the guy who who gave a Super Bowl ring to Donald Trump and accidentally had one stolen by Vladimir Putin, which is one of the great trivia questions of all time. (laughs) Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump each have New England Patriot Super Bowl rings, but I digress. So the reality is that nothing that he's urging to have to happen is actually occurring. He's ignoring an enormous amount of criticism. I'm sure there are parts of his base that are all jazzed up that he's standing up for the flag. The reality is he's not standing up for the flag. He likes the attention. He likes the fight. I think part of this is revenge over the USFL. Part of this is a distraction over his own impotence, politically and legislatively. 
And my guess is almost like everything else that happens. I mean, we're living in an era where nothing matters. That's really, it's incredibly frustrating to be a columnist and a talk show host in this era. And it, it may end up causing me, not that this is a big deal, but I, I may end up giving this whole thing up uh, just simply because what's the damn point? I mean, no, events don't matter anymore. They have no impact. And I have been saying since the beginning of Trump's presidency, his approval rating is going to be in a very narrow range. It's never going to get over 42, 43, barring some cataclysmic event. And it's never going to go below 36, barring a cataclysmic event. And we've seen that. It's hovering right in that range. And will continue to do so. My guess is that this, this weekend won't change anything. It might make people hate him, hate him even more. That's probably true. <laughs> but I doubt anybody's anybody's feelings or or thoughts about him are dramatically going to change. Now, there's there's a serious element to all this, not just the issue of, of race, but with regard to the, the media going bananas over all this, a lot of it feels, I mean, this, and I, I tweeted this today, uh, and, and people seem to agree with me, at least some people did, that this whole take a knee BS controversy feels a lot, a lot like the summer of the shark before 9-11. Remember that? Before 9-11, the media was completely enamored with sharks because there was nothing to talk about. I mean, the, we had just come off of a presidential election. Politically, there's nothing going on in the summertime in an off-year election or I mean, no, no, an off-year with no election. You know, Bush had just become president, and, you know, he didn't really care that much about uh, entertaining us. Are you not entertained? You know, so the media needed something. So leading up to 9-11, the big story was shark attacks. That was, the, that was it. I mean, that, that's not, I'm not making that up. Look it up. Google it. It's true. And then came 9-11. And here we are, the President of the United States, on the very same morning that he's further facilitating a fight with the National Football League, is also threatening to destroy North Korea. And no one seems to care. No one seems to be bothered by this. This is the same week where he went to the UN and against his advisor's counsel, personally attacked the leader of North Korea, baiting him for his own amusement, calling him Rocket Man. Now, I'll admit Rocket Man is kind of funny. I don't understand why he doesn't go with Rocket Boy, by the way. If you, if, I mean, I get the idea of demeaning a leader properly. Remember, Bush 41 used to do that with Saddam Hussein. Remember, he used to call him Saddam. I don't know what, what the hell that means as opposed to Saddam. But apparently Saddam, somebody told George Bush 41 that was an insult or that Hussein would take it as an insult. So, great, I'm, I'm fine with that. Rocket Man, though, almost sounds cool. Like, yeah, I, I'm the Rocket Man. Rocket Boy, since... He's the son of, you know, the reason why he's there is because he was the son of the previous leader and he's pretty young and pudgy and all that. Rocket Boy, I think, would be would work better. I don't know why he went with Rocket Man. But the more important thing here is that people know a hell of a lot more about it than I do or Trump does. Think it's a really bad idea to be publicly baiting a nut job who's on the verge of getting usable nuclear weapons. And the most remarkable thing is that no one cares. No one cares. We're wrapped up in this take-a-knee bullshit. It, it almost feels like we, we're going to get what we deserve, frankly, which I'm not rooting for, but that's, that's what it feels like. Now, there's one other aspect of this whole uh, Trump versus football thing that I do want to address today, mainly because it's, it's something that he and I agree with on, and I, I've talked... At, at times in the past, and I reference in, in the column you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, it's about the game of football itself. And Trump said, you know, he lamented in Alabama that, you know, the, the game just isn't the same because it's too soft now. And I, I saw some commentator tweet that that pretty much wraps up Trump's entire appeal, right? It, it, go, it appeals to 
middle-aged, older white men who are nostalgic for, which by the way, I can't believe I'm now in that group, but I guess I am. We're, we're nostalgic for a previous era. I remember when football was football, you know, that kind of thing. The, we went up to, we, we, you know, we walked to school uphill both ways in the snow, you know, that, that kind of business. But some of that's true, by the way. And football has dramatically changed in an incredibly short amount of time. I, I'm writing about this in the column, but I, I wanted to say a few words about it that I didn't reference in the column because it's, it's too detailed. You know, I've had a very uh, interesting experience with the game of football, especially for a guy who never played a down of organized football in my entire life because I was incredibly small and skinny as a kid, went to a high school, Holy Ghost Prep outside of Philadelphia, that never dreamed of having a football team. Went to a college, Georgetown University, that had a Division Three football team, so basically had no, no football for all intents and purposes. So on the, on the surface, it doesn't seem like I'm a guy that has had much of experience in the realm of football, except I actually have. My first job at high school, believe it or not, was as the freshman football coach at Ocean City High School in Ocean City, New Jersey. Because I was living in Ocean City at my, in my grandparents' hotel. Because <laughs> I had nothing better to do at that time. And I was a substitute school teacher in Ocean City. And I coached football, even though I knew nothing. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Mainly because I was an adult live body living in Ocean City during the fall. That, Ocean City is a resort town. So... <laughs> There wasn't a lot of competition. Somehow our team did exceedingly well. We only lost one game. And uh, it had nothing to do with me. I trust you. Uh, trust me. But that was back in 1989, fall of 89. And New Jersey football is pretty legitimate. And even though it was on the freshman level, I have a very distinct recollection of how tough these kids were, how how – uh, rough the game was, you know, what the blocking and tackling was like. And, and that stayed with me. And then I, I moved from job to job, and I got a, my first on-air sportscasting job was in Steubenville, Ohio, Wheeling, West Virginia. Now, this is the heart of Friday Night Lights territory, right? All they've got in Steubenville, Ohio, is high school football. It's a town at the time that had about 24, 25,000 people way below its peak. Because Steubenville used to be a legitimate city. Dean Martin was from there. Charles Grodin lost his virginity there. Jimmy the Greek was from there. It was a notorious town. Steel town. And then slowly but surely, it shrunk. Anyway, in this small town of 24,000 people, they've got a football stadium that holds 10,000 people. With a, at the time, they had you know, a, uh, an electronic scoreboard that was way advanced, even this, in, in the early 90s, a fire-breathing horse on top of the scoreboard. And going and covering those games was, to this day, I mean, I've covered almost every, I've never been to a Super Bowl, but I've covered almost every or attended almost every major sport. I will never get more excitement than covering a really good high school football game in that stadium on a Friday night or broadcast. In fact, in fact, the, the most exciting event I've ever covered in my sports career was when I did play-by-play for the rivalry game in Steubenville my second year there when there was a massive upset and the Catholic team beat the public school team for like the, one of the last times they ever did before they had to stop the rivalry because the Catholic school became too small to play against what's called the Big Red of Steubenville. Anyway, that was football. And I ended up spending an entire year with that Big Red team to write a book about the experience. Now, I've mentioned this before because the coach named Brino Sakach is still the coach there today. In fact, he's on the verge of being the winningest coach in the history of Ohio high school football, and he got embroiled in this massive media bullcrap narrative involving the so-called Steubenville rape case, which I tried to help him get through and advised him, and I've done interviews with him. And the whole thing is, is from a cover-up standpoint, total 100% just... It's just flat-out ridiculous. Absurd, false, and only in Steubenville could he have survived. <laughs> only in Steubenville where they, you know, they're, they're just politically 
incorrect enough to be able to say, go fuck yourselves. We're going to do what we want to do. We know what the truth is, and we're sticking by Reno because he's won state championships, and there's no evidence he did anything wrong, so go screw yourself. Now, that was football. And then I got out of sports, and I didn't really have any direct uh, interaction with football for quite a while until I moved here to California. And I'd gotten out of talk radio, and I had just gotten married, and my wife and I were living in her uh, place in what's called the South Bay area of Los Angeles. And I was in a, bizarrely, I was kind of in a similar situation to when I just got out of college, where there weren't a lot of male uh, adults who are qualified and have nothing better to do in a re- very rich area called Palos Verdes. California, not that we weren't living in Palos Verdes, but we were just outside of Palos Verdes, uh, where they have the time to give to coaching high school football for basically peanuts. And so there's this high school named Chadwick Academy that needed a varsity assistant and an eighth grade head football coach. So I applied and I got the job mainly again, because I don't think anybody else applied. And remarkably, the team did, had its best season ever. It had nothing to do with me. Uh, varsity made the playoffs, won a playoff game. Uh, and the eighth grade team, which I was the head coach of, we won all but one game, although I, I'm humiliated now to even admit that we, we lost the one game because my, co- my, my quarterback was Josh Rosen, who's now the – quarterback at UCLA who's projected to be a number one draft pick in the National Football League, and I lost a game in eighth grade with Josh Rose as my quarterback. That's some coaching right there. Anyway, the reason why I'm, I'm telling this is it was a remarkable uh, prism through which to see the change of football because I went from New Jersey and Ohio back in the you know late 80s, early 90s, and had also covered college and pro football at that time period, gone to Steelers games, been on the sidelines, that kind of business in, in Pittsburgh. To now, here, now, now to be fair, Chadwick Academy in Palos Verdes, California, is about as hoity-toity as it gets. And California is not exactly known for being rough and tumble and tough. And, you know, th- these are beach boys, okay? So I'll factor that into the equation. I mean, this, this school looks out over the ocean. It's, it's essentially like, you ever seen Pepperdine University in Malibu? It, it's effectively the high school version of, of Pepperdine. This is why Josh Rosen was going to school there in eighth grade. It's also, by the way, the reason why Josh Rosen did not go to high school there, because as you'll see in a moment, it was not an environment really conducive to producing for future NFL number one draft picks, even though our head football coach had played in the National Football League. And here's why. So I'm, I'm showing up, haven't been in coaching football in a very long time, and I'm expecting to see something close to what I did in Ohio and New Jersey. And boy, did I get a rude awakening. Our very first day of what supposedly is Hell Week, Hell Week. Now, Hell Week when you were in high school football back in my day was hell, okay? I mean, you were really legitimately lucky if you survived it. I mean, the two-a-day workouts, middle of the summer, hot as hell. I mean, anybody who's ever played football at any level knows what I'm talking about. This is the week where you're separating the men from the boys. You're getting ready for the season. So it's the first I don't know if it was the first day of practice, but it was the first time we had anything close to a scrimmage. Now, Chadwick's not a big school, so we've only got like 25, 26, maybe 28 guys on the roster. And we got very few offensive linemen, so we need everyone that we can get. And our biggest guy, a senior, I think he was playing right tackle, all right? He's our one guy you look at and goes, wow, he's big. It's literally either the first or second play of us doing anything close to contact. We run the play, you know, it seems like a fairly normal play, and all of a sudden I'm hearing, "Ah! Ah!" and I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? And it's our right tackle, our one big guy. 
and he's down on the ground and he's holding his knee and he's screaming like you've, I've never heard before. And now everybody immediately, because this is what you do as kids now, you take off your helmets, you get down on one knee and everyone's like, you know, almost like in prayer. And I'm like, oh my God, the whole season's over. We just lost our right tackle. This is, this is horrendous. Our second play from scrimmage. I mean, he, it, it, it could not have been more dramatic. I mean, it, it, you could hear a pin drop, the whole bit. He wasn't even injured. He, he was not even injured. He was not even injured, but he sat out the rest of Hell Week. This is our senior big guy. We go to lunch that day. Now, again, this is supposedly Hell Week, right? Two days. You go in the morning, and then you have lunch in the afternoon. Here was lunch for these kids. It's a pizza party with the girls' swim team in their bikinis. I'm like, what is going on here? What? What? Are, what? What? <laughs> We're having lunch with the girls' swim team in their bikinis? And this is Hell Week. We're having pizza overlooking the ocean. It got worse as the season went on because this was one of the first. This was like in 2010 or 11. And so the concussion issue is just becoming this, a big deal. All right. And and this is really what has ch totally changed football for better, or for worse, because of fear of concussions. But what people don't understand is that in this politically correct era, when you give anybody, even kids or maybe even especially kids, any excuse or any cover, any protection from criticism, they will take it immediately. And I'm telling you, there was zero doubt in my mind that we had kids on the varsity level who, if when they were getting their asses kicked, would claim concussion. Because that way, it's the honorable way out. You're not, you're not admitting that you got your ass kicked and you got afraid or whatever and you had to come out of the game. No, no, it's honorable. You're out on your shield because you got a concussion. Baloney. You didn't get a concussion. You're a wuss. That, 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 but this, this is pervasive now. This, and this was, like I said, six, seven years ago. So I'm, I'm sure it's even worse today. And, and judging from the high school football I've seen since then, it's getting ridiculous. Football is effectively this weird combination at the lower levels, not yet at the NFL, although sometimes you see semblances of it. And you, some, you see this a lot in college now, too, especially in, in conferences that don't play a lot of defense. Football is now like track combined with basketball. I mean, there's no tackling at all. At all. There's no no real blocking. They just they keep they run the play until everyone just kind of stops. <laughs> Everyone's still standing and it stops. They blow the whistle. But that yeah, we stopped. No one got hurt and that that was a successful play. And of course, as a coach, you have zero power. Zero power to do anything because if you even remotely question, oh my god, you questioned whether or not Joey had a concussion, then you're a bad guy and you're probably going to get fired. So it's kind of like the white guys talking about race on television. That's the way coaches are with injuries now. They can't do anything. They're ballless. They're eunuchs. The, the, the days of the authoritarian king football coach are totally dead. The parents completely have the power. And by the way, you might find this interesting. You know what was the last, the last bastion, and I don't know if this is still the case now, the last bastion of sensibility and rationality in this era? There were a few moms, not dads, moms who might say, get the hell back in the game, you're fine. Because they're the only ones that are allowed to. The dad's a bad guy if he does it. So the dad's just as ballless as everybody else. But occasionally you might find a mom who, who says, you're not hurt, get the hell back in there. And that's, that was the, the only opportunity you had for any semblance of rationality. In all seriousness, and it wasn't just concussions, 
what I learned in that la- – and I'm, I'm sure I'll never coach again, especially after this podcast. But uh, what, what I learned in that last f- football experience was that the definition of being injured in this day and age for the younger generation is I'm in discomfort. That's injured. And I'm being – this is totally serious – that's what they think, because I've talked to kids about this. I, I can't play, Coach. Why? Well, I'm injured. Well, why? Well, because my, my leg hurts. Well, what's going on? Can you move it? Yeah, no problem. But it, it, it hurts, so I don't want to – I can't play. What? 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 No, 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 no. That's not the definition of injury. <laughs> when, when, when I was a kid, the definition of injury was I am not physically able to do my job. I cannot help the team. I cannot – I, I'm a hindrance if I play, or I might cause f- much further, greater injury if I do. Th- that's that's an injury. Everything else is just bullshit. <laughs> that's, that, everything else is that, discomfort is not injury. But that's the mentality now. And I again, I'm I'm already putting in the equation that this is a school that. You know, a bunch of rich wussy kids. I get that. Now, what's interesting is, so last fall, I I go back east for a, a, a hearing in the whole Penn State Sandusky thing. Boy, this was an interesting day. So I had a hearing on the Penn State Sandusky thing. Uh, it was just before the presidential election. I have dinner with Franco Harris, and I'm going to stay with one of my old friends in Steubenville. And it turns out that Steubenville Big Red is playing a playoff game that night. So I, I hurry from my dinner with Franco to see if I can catch the end of the Big Red playoff game. Because Steubenville is still going to the state championship almost every stinking year. Well, there's a reason why. Because Steubenville is in a time warp when it comes to political correctness. Not only did they stand by Reno Sakash, so... I had not seen Reno in a coaching situation since the whole controversy. I had seen him a couple of times, but it wasn't during football season. So I go into the locker room after they win this playoff game, and I'm curious. Okay, Reno's got to be a totally different coach than the guy I saw 25 years ago. Has to be. Otherwise, there's no way he would still exist in this day and age. Wow. He's actually worse. (laughs) I I could not believe what I was witnessing. He's in the locker room after the win, everyone's showering, you know, most of the guys are naked or whatever. He's going up to black kids. Black kids as a white coach going up to black kids and totally jokingly, but we know that jokingly doesn't matter anymore, and telling him, "Hey, fuckhead." Boom, and hitting them in the stomach hard. Using the F word to refer to a black kid and punching the kid. Of course, the kid loves it. The kid legitimately loves it because it's like Reno's way of showing the kid attention. So therefore, you know, he must have done something good to get the coach's attention. I mean, nothing remotely negative about it. But I'm like, Reno, dude, I just saw you do like, Six things that would have gotten any other coach fired <laughs> without question. <laughs> and I, I think the moral of the story is that's why Steubenville is still winning. <laughs> Steubenville, by all rights, should should be off the charts as far as I mean, they, they, they you know, they've lost so much population. I can tell just from watching game footage, they're nowhere near as good as they used to be. The quality of play has gone down dramatically. But they haven't lost as much as every other team because every other team is playing this politically correct bullshit game where everybody's super soft. And because they've been able to maintain their toughness, they're winning purely on toughness. They're, they're undefeated this year, 5-0. and They're probably going to go to another state championship game. <laughs> And it's not because they've got the best players. It's because they're living in a different era. It's the last bastion. Trust me. <laughs> there, there is no, no other place other than maybe Steubenville, Ohio, where a high school football coach could get away. Maybe a couple places in, in Texas. But even in Texas, I don't even – I think Texas has kind of gotten uh, 
uh, feminized a bit as well, uh, depending on where in Texas. But there are only a few places left in the United States where uh, you can still live like it's uh, pre-political correctness era. And shockingly, that's where they're having success. I wonder if there's a correlation. All right, so that's enough about uh, my experiences with football, which I thought were uh, particularly appropriate given the, uh, the news of this weekend. A couple other things in this hour number one. I mentioned that you know Trump has gotten into this fight when he should be fighting the health care battle, because after all, he promised a million times during the campaign that he would repeal and replace Obamacare. This is the very last chance, and we know it's the very last chance because there's a legitimate deadline. Because if they don't get it by the deadline, they can't do it via reconciliation, which means they need more votes, which obviously they're never going to get. So it now appears with the announcement today that Ted Cruz is against the current version of the alleged Obamacare repeal that it is officially dead. There, there, there appears to be no way to get to 50 votes. So Obamacare, as I have been saying since day one, I've never believed that Obamacare was going to be significantly repealed in any way. And I know that Republicans in Congress is, are who Trump's going to blame. He takes no blame for this. You know, he, that's why he's not fighting the fight, because if he does and he loses, it makes him look bad. So it's all about him. I, I think better leadership on his part, could have given this a lot better chance. I think it would have had a much more legitimate shot if we had a, a serious president who knew what he was doing. But there, and, and there, the Republicans in Congress absolutely deserve some blame here. But not all the blame. And I'm not just talking about Trump getting a lot of the blame. Part of why I knew this wasn't going to happen is that circumstances have changed. Not just because you now have a Republican, alleged Republican in, in the White House who would sign a repeal bill, but over time, over that seven-year period, this Obamacare program, even though it's been a disaster in some ways, is now part of the fabric of the country. Or to use a more healthcare-related analogy, if you think of Obamacare as a cancer, it's a cancer that at the beginning was a fairly minor cancer. It was manageable. You could have operated to remove it. Now it's taken over the entire body. It is, you know, as bad as it is, without it, if you remove all of it, you're probably in the short run going to make our healthcare system a lot worse. You might kill it. And by the way, you're going to, dis- you're going to hand the Senate, the House, and probably the presidency to the Democratic Party. And then what are you going to get? You're going to get single-payer socialism. So... It's not, a, it's not remotely an easy situation. And operating on this cancer today is much different than it would have been operating on this cancer back in 2011 or 12. And I've always said the last shot we had of killing Obamacare was Mitt Romney. That was the last chance. So if you sat out 2012 because Romney wasn't hardcore enough for you, then... Go screw yourself, because you're part of why Obamacare will never be repealed, unless it's to institute a single-payer program, socialist medicine in totality. That was the last chance. So let's not pretend, you know, because we had this miracle happen with Trump's election, that somehow we can go back in time. You can't. It's 2017. It's not 2012. 2012 was the last shot. Everything else was just a Hail Mary. And when you got Trump as your quarterback, you're not going to complete a Hail Mary pass. It's just not going to happen. So it appears as if, once again, health care is going to be dead and Trump will not fulfill one of his major promises. I urge you to read the Paul Manafort uh, column that I wrote. Um, you know, it's amazing the, the world we're living in now where stories that would be absolutely massive massive are no longer even that big of a deal i mean I, I i wonder how many people even remember the manafort story happened this week but there were multiple articles cnn and new york times about paul manafort former trump campaign chairman 
who is now been told by the special counsel that he's going to be indicted and that he was wiretapped both before the election and after the election. Of course, some of the uh, Trump nut jobs and sycophants try to claim that this is actually a vindication of Trump's infamous wiretapping tweet. Uh, no. No. That's, that's not accurate. Not close to true. Barack Obama did not order this wiretap. He did not approve this wiretap. Either of them. Uh, he, there's, no knowledge, there's no evidence he had any knowledge of it. We don't know that it even happened at Trump Tower. It was not directed on Donald Trump. All of which is in contradiction to his bizarre tweet where he claimed Obama, a very sick man, had ordered this on him during the campaign. This was on Paul Manafort. Now, here's the bottom line of my take on the Manafort story. And again, I urge you to read the column at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I now feel more confident than ever that there was some level of collusion, for lack of a better term, between the Trump campaign and Russia. Whether Trump knew about that, I don't know. But there, there was collusion. I mean, heck, I, frankly, we already know there was collusion because of that meeting that Donald Trump Jr. lied about. But I, I am, well, I'm not 100% there. I'm pretty darn confident that depending on your definition, that there was some level of collusion with Russia. There's just way too much evidence to indicate otherwise. However, I also think the Manafort story indicates that the chances of Trump ever being removed from office because of this are less than what I thought they were. I don't know what that percentage would have been before the Manafort story, but it's less now. And the reason why it's less now is I read, and I could change my mind about this if I got more information, but I read the stories being leaked to the New York Times and, and to CNN about Paul Manafort as Robert Mueller bluffing. That's what it felt like to me. See, Mueller either has a full house and this thing's over just a matter of time, or he only has a pair of deuces but feels strongly that, that a crime was committed here, that something really bad happened, and he's trying to... to figure out a way to change his pair of deuces into something resembling a full house. And the only way he's going to be able to do that is to get somebody to flip. And the two most obvious subjects to flip would be Manafort or Mike Flynn. And it's clear that hasn't happened yet. Because if it had happened, they would not have leaked that they told Manafort he would be indicted. But there's no evidence he's been indicted. To me, you only leak that if you're in somewhat of a desperate situation, why would you leak that we told Manafort he was going to be indicted when there's no evidence of an actual indictment? Maybe there's an explanation I'm missing, but to me, it's far more consistent with a bluff from a guy who feels strongly that there's something there. He just can't prove it yet. And this is going to take a very high level of proof. Why? Well, one, because it's the president of the United States and removing the president should be a very high threshold, regardless of who it is, no matter how nuts that president is. However, I think that the threshold here might be much higher than a lot of people who are anti-Trump are hoping or expecting. Because if you think about it, who exactly has an incentive for Trump to be removed? Well... His cult doesn't have an incentive, so that's whatever percentage of the country, 25, 35% of the country. So they don't want him removed, and they're, they're, they're willing to go to war for him. So that's a negative influence on him being removed because you're going to you know, piss off dramatically a huge cult. You know, Richard Nixon didn't really have a cult following. I mean, he had some following, but not, you know, go to war in the streets type that Trump does. So that's number one. Number two, the media, they have no incentive for Trump to go. Yes, they hate him, but he's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the news media. He's manna from heaven. He's the full employment act for news media. They don't want Mike Pence as president. There'll be massive layoffs in the news media. 
Trump is the greatest thing that ever happened to them. Are you not entertained? So when it comes, when push comes to shove, the media will back off. That doesn't mean they're not going to want him impeached. I think there's a very good chance Trump gets impeached. Democrats take the House. I think he'll get impeached, but not removed. See, the impeachment, but not removal, that's the scenario where everybody wins. Everybody wins. The cult keeps their president. The media keeps their cash cow. The media gets the impeachment faux drama, which will be awesome for them. Republicans in the House and Senate, they get to keep backing Trump so that they don't get the cult sicked on them. The threshold for removal is two-thirds in the Senate. That's an incredibly high number. Democrats in the House and Senate probably want Trump to stay there because he's going to be acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger, as I've said. So the only group that really has a strong incentive for Trump to be removed are the hardcore liberal base that hate him. What are they going to do? So I, again, unless Mueller has something massive, I just don't see how Trump is going to be removed because of those incentives that I just referred to. Now, those incentives can change. And maybe it's possible that Mueller has more than, than that. Uh, are those articles that came out this week about Manafort seem to imply if I, my interpretation of them is correct. Now, um, tomorrow being Monday, today is Sunday when we record this, Monday at 12.30 Eastern Time, I am scheduled to be on Headline News. I guess what, you know, the, the, what are they, I don't know what they were, I don't even know how they brand Headline News anymore. It's a weird channel now, but it used to be basically CNN only news all the time. Now it's a whole hodgepodge of stuff. I'm supposed to be on there to talk about this whole Trump NFL thing and the column I wrote for Mediate. You never know if these things are actually going to happen. You can get bumped, uh, you know, incredibly easily. Stay tuned to my Twitter and Facebook uh, pages for more information if you're interested. But that'll be at 1230 afternoon Eastern time on Monday if you get headline news. Make sure you stay tuned for hour number two. Got a great interview with CNN media reporter Oliver Darcy, who's an expert on the conservative media. That's coming up in hour number two. Until uh, next week, make sure you just, uh, all I ever do is ask two things of you. So if you could, I'd appreciate it. One, share this podcast via social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or word of mouth. That would be greatly appreciated. Number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps at night and when you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you stay tuned to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.